Victor Von Doom, born to a witch mother named Cynthia and a tribe leader named Warner, left his homeland and his family at a young age to lead a life of villainy by torturing the Fantastic Four. Donning the mask that provided him with the alias Dr. Doom, he became a thorn in the side of Mr. Fantastic, Spider-Man, and just about every other hero in the Marvel Universe. The mask that cloaked Dr. Doom in a layer of evil is the same mask that provided Long Island-based rapper MF Doom with a cloak of charisma. After the conclusion of his initial rap group KMD, the rapper then known as Zen Love X rebranded himself by appearing at open mic nights in New York City with a mask similar to the one that Dr. Doom was known for. His career lasted for more than two decades, racking up critical acclaim and respect from his peers before his untimely death at the end of 2020. His peak remains 2004's Mad Villainy, a collaboration with producer Madlib that remains an undeniable high point in the underground hip-hop community. This is the legacy of MF Doom. So nasty that it's probably somewhat of a travesty having me. Then he told the people you can call me your majesty. Keep your battery charged. He know it won't stick, yo. And it's not his fault to kick slow. My guest today, not someone that I intentionally have on the show the week after America's Very Dark Days, but it does seem like there is a trend of this guest being on the show uh, in the early summer when things were a little tense in the summer of 2020, and now early 2021, once again, things a little tense, and I'm happy that such a lighthearted, fun individual is here to talk with me today. Uh, Chandler Gill, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Case. Oh, man, it's so good to see your face, hear your voice, and like you said, already 2021, off to a fifth, fifth, a start, a start, that's for sure. It's it certainly to... exists. We are yeah. living in 2021, and I think that's the best thing we can say. We're in the new year. It is 2021, and unfortunately, on the final day of 2020, as if that year wasn't enough, we received some horrible news in the hip-hop community that word broke that MF Doom had passed away. He actually uh, officially passed away on October 31st of 2020. We did not. This man was yeah. real to the end. Like, how much, more how much more Doom can you get dying? <laughs> um, so we end I, our year with some Doom I, and I Gloom. Had question, I had this question when he died. I wondered, did he die with the mask on? And I don't think he did but apparently he's being buried with it, which like that makes my heart just, that's just heavy to me. Like, it's, it's shocking. And, and Chandler's on this podcast because I do not know a ton about MF Doom. I knew when I, when I read that he passed away, my first thought was, oh my God, I hope Chandler's okay. Because we talked about this on the first episode that you were on when we did Quasimodo's The Unseen, where our first interaction, and I'll, I'll quickly retell the story in case people haven't heard this episode or if they don't remember, our first interaction, freshman year of college, the day I move in, I set up my turntable and my speakers and my records, and it's uh, a lot of Smiths, it's some Joyce Manor, it's some, some Philly emo revival stuff. And there's oh, a, shit, I'm very down. Yes, yes, very much so, very much so. I, and, you know, I've got a, I've a little bit of hip-hop sprinkled in there, but it's your mainstream stuff. It's Jay-Z's The Blueprint. It's Fuji's The Score. And I'm getting set up. I'm very nervous. I'm, I'm about to live with three people that I do not know. And all of a sudden, this fourth character emerges within my <laughs> dorm room. Someone who 
I, I not only do not know, but someone who, uh, my understanding was, was not living within my corridors and it's, it's <laughs> the Chandler. And he's like, Oh, is that your turntable? I said, yeah. And he's like, I'll be right back. And then leaves my dorm, <laughs> goes across the hall to his dorm, comes back with the album we're talking about today, Mad Villainy, it just puts it on my turntable and plays it. And for a long time, I was like, who the fuck is, does this guy think he is? This is, <laughs> this is insane. This is my property. And he just <laughs> took over completely. And I, I was probably upset about it for about a day or two. But uh, the more and more you were in my life, the more I was like, no, that makes sense. Of course he did that. Like, of, of course this situation happened. And that was my introduction to MF Doom, to uh, Mad Lib, Mad Villain. That was my introduction to Mad Villainy, the album. That is also pretty much my only experience with this album up until uh, the week before we recorded this when I was listening to the album pretty much every day. So Chandler, thank you for bringing this album into my life, not once, but twice. Oh, my, my absolute pleasure. I think that, you know, I guess we'll start with the album. I'll branch out a bit into a bit of previous MF Doom. But speaking on Mad Villainy specifically, that's the, for a long time, that was the only vinyl record I ever purchased. That was the only vinyl that I ever had. Somebody gifted me Mad Villainy 2, the remixes, and that was the time the second <laughs> vinyl, the only <laughs> vinyl that I had. I've never had a record player, but I always had those two. And I loved them. I loved them so very dearly. I mean, I, anytime someone that I knew had a record player, I would play them. I thought that it's a, it's a great album to share. Like, no, no better way to put it, but I think that the fact that it's, it's a unique experience listening to all the way through, like, once, like, in album format, I think it's very important to listen to. But there's also just standout tracks that you listen to, and because they're so short and sweet, like, you just go through and you're like, man, that was all. I'll just... I didn't listen to that again. That was like a minute and a half. Like that was nothing. I, I think that there's something so friendly in a way about it, you know, like it's something that I, I and, and it speaks to the nature, I think of the collaborative effort behind the album. The fact that this is a, this was a legendary collaboration, not just in hip hop, but in music at large, people <clears throat> are aware that this was a two Titans kind of coming together. Mad Lib, a legendary beat maker and MF Doom, a legendary MC coming to collaborate on an album that just worked and it was a one-off not necessarily a fluke but like just something that they did once and never really like got together again for anything this big and collaborative and it just it worked so well that it kind of is a testament to that nature I think just working well together getting along being like I don't know, it, when, when one artist really influences another and the pair just comes together into a beautiful form, it's, it's something else. And I think that this album really embodies that in a lot of ways, because it is an MF Doom album, but it's also, I'm sure, because you've listened to Quasimodo's The Unseen now, you have an idea of what a Mad Lib album kind of sounds like. It does not, like, this does not sound like an MF Doom album the way other MF Doom albums do. Like, it uses, like, those feel a little more not disjointed, but it's like, you know, it's like a single person's kind of, he's more of the rapper, he's getting beats from other people. It doesn't have that huge cohesive element that Mad Libs of the Unseen has. So I think that there's a big cohesive element to this that I think that makes it. What, did you feel that as well? Yeah, it's a communal album. I think almost just like the studio experience comes across even on first listen of like oh it seems like these guys had fun making this album you know i recently just in my just what i've been listening to in my own life it's been a lot of like 
ready to die from Biggie and Cameron and some other perhaps more intense, like, uh, death looming over these tracks hip hop and i put this and i was like well this is just like two guys having fun and i think that speaks to your point about it uh, almost being an album to listen to in a group in a community with friends and and i hope that one day we're able to to get close with one another again <laughs> uh, uh drop yeah. some respiratory pellets on one another <laughs> And, and listen to Mad Villainy. It, it's funny to me that this, for a long time, was the only album you had on vinyl because I do consider this album, and again, I had really not heard it up until about a week ago. It is on that list of Fleetwood Mac rumors, The Strokes, Is This It? If you're a record store with an essential listening wall or just like a tremendous import-export used vinyl section... I always see this album. Every record store I go to, there is a corner in the shop dedicated to this album. And it's very funny to me listening to that, especially comparing it to like The Strokes Is The Sit, which is an album that I'm not afraid to say I love. I think it's tremendous. Oh, amazing. It's, yeah, it's, it's tremendous. And, but that's like a very anthemic album. And once you hear a song like Someday, you kind of know it for the rest of your life. This is not an album rich with choruses or hooks that I could really like pull apart. Like I listen to this album a lot, but there's 22 tracks on here and I don't know if I could, you know, if you put on one song from this album right now, I don't know if I go, that is this song. This is all caps. This is whatever, because it's, it really took me a few listens to understand this album, to get it, to really appreciate it. And it wasn't until yesterday and early this morning when I was listening and going like, okay, I see the hype. And I, I think that is a, a short preview for my thoughts on the album that is Mad Villainy. But Chandler, tell me a little bit about MF Doom. I know as an artist, <clears throat> he was someone that inspired and influenced the likes of Tyler, the creator, and Tom York, who was a noted fan of MF Doom, but what sort of inspiration did, did he have on you? Well, I, I mentioned that that was the first uh, vinyl I ever bought as well, but more interestingly than that, I would say that hip hop has always had a very important place to me as like an act of, like it was always the music that felt not premium, but like special to me. Like, you know, I was, I, I Music was my first love when I was like an itty bitty child. I wanted to be like a classic rock guitarist, like Jimmy Page or El Eagles. Got, like that was what, like that was my like first love, and it was because my parents really loved it. You know, I think it was something like that that I just kind of latched onto. But then, like as I fell in love with more different kinds of music and branched out, I found hip hop was like special. Like I was like, this is something. Like there's just a unique, like heart and soul <clears throat> behind it that I feel like other genre like it has to be they're really creative with it you know i guess like there's very high concept stuff in the way that like people would mention like people bring up pink floyd's the wall and stuff like that like there's concept but like the first album i ever paid money for when i was 10 years old was wu-tang clans enter the 36 chambers so that was like to me like there was sound design in that there was elements to that that felt like i was watching a film like it just had it had things in it that just made me think differently about what an album could be or what music could be. And I think that MF Doom, once I really got into the internet and really into Anthony Fantano, I'll admit it, I'll admit it, I'll admit it. I'm a recovering needle drop, okay? I'm off the needle. But 
like when you're in middle school, that shit really does influence you. You know, it's like a good resource. It's a good place to pull from. And the classic review for Mad Villainy was my first exposure to it. And I remember list like searching high and low for it. It was even hard to, I could only find the tracks on YouTube. And this was before I got really into internet piracy and you know, all that stuff. And I just, I was like listening to these tracks in like the middle school cafeteria of my charter school, just listening to like Raid and Accordion and fucking Rhinestone Cowboy. And it's like, this is, ins I've never heard music that could, that sounded like this. It feels so old yet so new at the same time. It is timeless in that way. It's just such a pure expression that it's like coming out in 2004, you know, same year as what TI's trap music or <laughs> like indeed now this is a reference I can understand now we're on the same page <laughs> yes. it's like it's just you know the, to, the thing about the landscape of music in 2004 you know like that is is totally you know hip-hop was hot you know it was huge it was making boatloads of money and here you had artists that had the confidence in their sound and in their aesthetics to make something this obtuse and experimental for a genre that as that is as big and you know in the forefront as hip-hop and just i think that that's part of what is a draw to it you mentioned i guess to bounce off what you say about not being able to recognize certain tracks or having big choruses that kind of stick out i feel like this album is more like things hide in shadows and around corners you know there's elements and little nooks and crannies in it that you're just like oh my god i totally forgot how groovy this little like 30 seconds is, you know, it's like, it's like just like moments that just like come and go that just, I don't know. It's like reading a good book or like watching a good film. Like there's something that rewards rewatching, you know, as opposed to like rewards quoting it and like remembering it, you know? There's a lot of things in there that I, I, I found to be very interesting. I think the idea of hip hop as I don't want to say the superior form of music or whatever, but I, I do think there's a case to be made that just the talent that it takes to produce a great hip hop track is, is far above whatever uh, other type of music there is out there. Yeah, banging out a folk indie song and not saying that that's hard either, you know, it's like, but it's like, you know, having the, the ability that people have to use a guitar or like, you know, just like a very simple punk setup or like, you know, it's like that's even that, you know, requires equipment and stuff, but like, even like with the minimal equipment that these guys use, it clearly took like craft and thought and like a well, like they, they had chops, you know, like these are guys are no slouches, no like, like they didn't just like kind of uh, just have been playing around with music. Like these are like musicians that have like studied their craft and like wanted to make something, I guess. And, and in relation to that with myself, I feel like at times I'm a very bad consumer when it comes to hip-hop because I'm not really an albums guy when it comes to the genre. I like the singles. I like the hits. Give me a big hook that I can latch on to. Like something like this, and it's exactly the point that you made, 2004 in the hip-hop landscape, uh, the South is rising with T.I. We're seeing the beginnings. I, I believe the Carter came out in either 2004 or 2005. So we're seeing the emergence of Lil Wayne as this A-list celebrity, someone that would go on to have songs with Britney Spears. And at the same time, it's like on the East Coast, it's like, okay, 50 Cent is kind of the ruler of this. And it's all... Like, that's my era of hip-hop. Yeah, no, that's I like. it's, I mean, it's I'm all not trying to... No, 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 I, I know what you're saying. It's 
much more surface level than this. And I, I was just shocked listening to this album of like, oh, this came out at the same time as like 50 since the massacre. And I look <laughs> at the massacre as like an awesome album. And it's not that this made me, that, that Mad Villainy made me rethink that opinion, but it's like, wow, this is so different because any sort of underground hip hop is just completely off my radar. When I can give you straight edge bands that nobody's heard of for, for a while. And I feel like I've got the upper hand of that department of like music nerd dumb, but underground hip hop, it is, there's no knowledge there. So even something like this, which I found to be a little bit more approachable than Quasimodo's the unseen. Cause that album really did just take me a long time to really even understand what was going on. This one, I think it has some highs and some lows, but I, the high points, I'm like, okay, I get that. I understand why this album is so revered, but it is so different than what was going on at the same time in the same genre, which is, again, like my era of what I like. And this was just a completely different end of the spectrum, which I found to be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you also had uh, the college dropout that year as well so you know i think that uh, i feel like part of the reason why you're not super into mf doom as well as the jazz influence i know that you're not a huge jazz guy as well and this I'm, is not, very... I'm not a huge jazz guy but i do love jazz and hip-hop okay yeah. pete rock and cl smooth they do they do all right for me i, I don't mind the jazz Gangstar is one of my favorite rap groups so i it's it's certainly one thing and i i think this was more apparent on the unseen because i think there's even a song called crate diggers which is all about like Oh, jazz I'm gonna find yeah, it's like oh, I'm gonna find the jazziest sample I can find. It's like well, you don't need to like share that. Like I know you're gonna do it, <laughs> but you don't need to tell people you're doing that. But I I did not mind the jazz influence on this album. I think that there's a lot of really uh, again I I use the word obtuse to describe this because I feel like there is just so much like ebb and flow and just rounded like weird qualities to it like i think about the song rainbows a lot weird one weird specific track to start off with but rainbows is like that's an out there song to me like that feels like like that feels like something that you can bear i guess it's hip-hop you know it's completely sample based it's got a rapper on it but it's not he's not really rapping so much as he's like talking it's like i don't know it's also interesting to know that they didn't record together. I've been watching a lot of interviews with Madlib and, and MF Doom uh, recently in the wake of Doom's death. And it's, it's interesting to see how they recorded it. Like they would pretty much only get together occasionally. He would hand him a beat tape and then Doom would hand him the rhymes and then they would just go off to different rooms and just kind of, he would, Doom would write on the terrace, as they would say. He would be like out in the open, like looking over California, and then Madlib was down in the bomb shelter in the basement, just making beats, banging out beats, and then they would just come up to a to swap, and then they would eat Thai food or hang out, you know, occasionally. But it wasn't like a super, super like in the studio like sessions, which I think is so crazy. They said that it was more like communicating through the music, like that was most of their conversations that they had was just through the the sound. And I just thought, man, how does something like rainbows come out of like that? You know, like that's like, it just feels so like you got to be like, you, one of them had to sell the other on that, right? Like, it's like, all right, so we're going to take this like single sample and slow it down to be 
an entire, you know, the entire song essentially, and you just are gonna do this. Like somebody had to sell them. Yeah, that's that's insane. I mean, it certainly negates the point I made earlier about there being such a strong sense of community during the recording process. It turns out there was no community, it sounds like, which is uh, insane to think about, just given how warm parts of this album feel. I know Anthony Fantano, uh, to bring him up again, mentioned in his review that it's almost like, like listening to a comic book out loud, that it, it's really thematic in that almost like a Wu-Tang album where... I, you know, Wu-Tang's a little bit more grounded, but I do feel like whenever I put their music on, it, they're talking about just an entirely different universe. And it's not this sense of, like, listening to Ten Crack Commandments and being a white kid from the suburbs and being like, well, I don't, I mean, this sounds cool. I don't really have any experience with this. It's like, <laughs> you put on Wu-Tang and you're like, no, this is another planet. Like, these people are living a, an alternate reality from the world I'm in. It's not different experiences. It's a different world. And, and this sort of has that same thing. And I'm curious uh, to ask you this, just as someone that is much more familiar with MF Doom's entire body of work, is this does this sound like anything else he's done? If someone's yes. looking to get into doom, kind of where do they start? What should they listen to? So I guess I, so that is an amazing way to transition. I should talk about the man, you know, doom himself. As I, as I mentioned earlier, maybe off camera, he was a, a, a figure in my life that defined a, a look at art and music very differently. I would say I, I took, a, a much different approach to thinking about these things. And I feel like part of that comes from he just approached things differently. So the to start with the, the collaborative effort with his brother, that was when he and I don't know if you're familiar with Third Base as well. They were yes. a, yeah, I was going to say Pop Goes the Weasel because the weasel goes <laughs> pop. So MC Search discovered Daniel Dumoulin, a young Daniel Dumoulin, who at the time was going by the name Zev Love X. And his brother, uh, Subrock, and there there was a vocalist in the group as well called Onyx, and they were a group called KMD. Awesome early '90s hip hop, just super fun, super likable guy, just like young guys, just being. It's like guys being dudes. It really is just as simple <laughs> as that. Like they're just like they they kind of they they drop some wisdom. Specifically, I mean, Black Bastards is actually a very, well, I'm kind of underselling the importance of Black Bastards, their second album. After Onyx left the group and it was just uh, <laughs> just Daniel and, uh, and Subrock, they, they made Black Bastards. And that is a very groovy, kind of heavy, like just pointed album like it just felt like and, it, and it, the approach that they took was kind of killing the sambo that's what the the like it was hang they had the the hanging uh sambo character on the cover and it was you know barred from release because people thought that it was you know i i get it it could be a little controversial but <laughs> if i, I was that, if i was walking by it didn't know what it was it would catch my eye yeah. I, I it would i would certainly notice it and i think that it is but but even then there was such a ballsy approach to just being like it's not, you know, it, it's not racist. It's, it's a sign of ending racism to us. You know, it's like reverting it back on itself, you know, as being like, it's the death of this character. And that thought of like character and how important that is to the representation of, I guess, black people, everyone in particular. But, you know, I think Doom recognized the importance of characters 
and iconography and how that stuff can be when it's filtered through a corporate identity, which is what he was, you know, completely against and going against the grain of hip hop in that way. That was what his whole ethos was, I guess, was just being like, we've like, it's all, you know, if you're, if you're design, if you're deciding how the music looks and sounds like all it, you know, all based on how it'll sell based on like marketing and, you know, like corporate identity, trying to appeal to as many people as possible, as opposed to building up your own kind of identity, something that speaks true to you and is genuine, then you can reach a more niche particular audience that is dedicated and knows what you're communicating is genuine. And I feel like, so that's what the mask really represented. His brother, Subrock, unfortunately died uh, between the production of Black Bastards and uh, Mr. Hood. And that was kind of sent him, you know, Doom describes it as, you know, it's not like he was living like a crazy champagne pop in life, you know, at the time. He said it was, for, you know, I just had to go back to work. You know, I just, I went and, you know, it was just back to normal living, you know, back to the grind. And I just kept making music for myself. And then he got into Stretch and Bobito, who had a radio show at the time in New York. Stretch and Bobito had pretty much defined, you know, that 90s hip hop landscape you know they were they were like the tastemakers at the time and he he would put together mixtapes and stuff with people and that was where the first real mf doom tracks kind of came about there and then he started producing for people and he made doomsday and doomsday i think really is like a it's a great place to start and i start i listened to it the day that he died and you know i get i get teary eye listening to a lot of doom now honestly because there's so much wisdom hidden hidden in those rhymes that are like you know, like I said, he's not above hip hop. He's not like a rapidy, rapidy rapper that like kind of looks down on what it means, you know, doing drugs, having women, you know, it's like these staples of iconography of, of villainy almost, and also of, of hip hop culture in a way is being spun in such a mythical literary narrative way that it's, it's intent, you know, the intent is clearly there and thus, is communicated. That's why I think his influence has been so felt and wide is that he's just, it's, it's a very pure expression of a lot of ideas, I think. So. so let me ask you this, because when, before we recorded, you mentioned that you wanted to talk specifically about, and I'll, I'll use the words that you used, his conceptual ethos, which I was like, okay, I think I know what that means. And after listening to you talk about it, I, I think I got the picture. Uh, if I was to draw a comparison to more my world of music and i and i think i think you will pick up on this and if not it's okay uh but would you say mf doom is almost like an ian mckay a fugazi type figure someone that was very protective of his image not out of greed but out of almost concern that he could be turned into something that he's not I mean, yeah, I think he, I think Doom did definitely. I mean, I think Ian McKay is an interest, definitely an interesting one to pull pull up. And I think that, yeah, I guess that, I guess it wasn't really fear though. Doom did it with a confidence that, like, it didn't. He never felt like he was misstepping in his. He always trusted his process and his image and what he was going for because it was. I guess it was like a humble kind of thing, you know. Like he didn't. I feel like punk is a very real or not real it's very similar to hip-hop you know it's like there's like this horrible idea of like real punk versus like being like a real rapper 
you know, I think that there's a lot of comparison you can draw there. And with that is, you know, kind of imposter syndrome, you know, like it's, it's kind of easy to fall into that, like, fuck, if my image is not like real, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice to my music, my fans who, who you know, whatever it may be in this, myself even. And I think that Doom kind of threw that all out the window with the mask, you know, like it was more, it was kind of easier for him to be like a goofy, corny kind of rapper because he's rapping about comic books at the same time, you know, that he's talking about smoking weed. It's like proto Cuddy almost, or like, and I'm not a huge Kid Cuddy fan, but you know, like that, that, I think that idea of just like thinking outside the box of what you can do with realness in that way, it, it, it is more real by being scripted you know like he is bringing a sense of study uh, studiousness you know he said that he uh he prides himself he's a rapper obviously but more than anything he claims he's a writer and i i, I claims i don't mean to sound dismissive i think he's a writer you know i think that there is an element of literary mythologic like mythologizing himself and like canonizing himself in the world of super villains even like such high concept things like the idea of story and how like the verbal storytelling is just as important as the written like storytelling you know i think that that was why he chose the mu medium of music to approach his storytelling and i think that that it, it provided such interesting like okay let's let's break it down i guess as the the characters you know doom himself prided himself on characters mf doom victor vaughn uh metal fingers um, King Ghidorah, there's, there's a ton of characters that are pl played by Daniel Dumoulin, essentially, but he uses in his, his sonic and literary world to tell stories and impart wisdom that are part of Daniel Dumoulin as well. Of course, they're completely separate written characters that have odd eccentric qualities about them that Daniel Dumoulin himself does not impose, but I think that there's such a there's such a, a, I don't know, a tie to his ideas and ethos. Like there's, there's one song on a later album that Samuel Laidman, I, I know you remember Sam, right? Yeah. Oh, honestly. yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're both huge MF Doom fans. You know, he's like my partner in crime, I would say. Um, and he showed me this song off of MF Doom's later album, Born Like This. The track is called That's That. And it's a very anti-military song, actually. It doesn't, I didn't get it at all. Like, I, I had no idea. It just seemed like, you know, like a good MF Doom song about kind of shitting on the competition, I guess, about how he's the finest and the best. But in a way, he's talking about, like, not getting played by the government, like going and uh, getting drowned in cow's dung, crown him. And it's like, that's a reference to crawling in the mud at boot camps and stuff like that. It's just, there's a lot of just interesting jewels dropped in his in his rhymes that are crazy. I mean, like just conceptually speaking, and then if you want to break down the actual rhymes themselves, nobody was rhyming like he was at the time. Like every word in a, in a bar rhyming with every word in the other bar, like consequently, like that's just, and it makes sense and has ethos and themes to it. Like he just, he was like a scholar as much as he was a musician and an artist, I would say. I think that that's, something about him unique that so he has this illustrious career uh, you know what 
25 years of, of recording music. Is that a fair thing to say somewhere in that ballpark? Yeah. Amassed a global following. We were talking right before we went on the air kind of about his fan base and, and perhaps some of the misconceptions or the stereotypes of it. Could you describe uh, the, the falsehood that is the MF Doom fan base and who you think really listens to that music? Yeah, I mean, the idea, if you picture an MF Doom fan in your head, and I will say that I picture this as well, it is a suburban white kid or, you know, non-black person, basically, that is blown away by just every single thing that Doom says and does. Specifically, the joke that is pointed to is the one off of Mad Villainy of all albums is the Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos you know, that's, and they're just, their brains are melting out of their skulls for just hearing those whimsical bars. Here uh, those proper and, nouns that I recognize and enjoy, and now he's rapping about them. I'm like, oh my God, this, is, <laughs> this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I like snack food. You know, he's not just rapping about I think this rock. guy's onto something. <laughs> I think he's really saying something. But, so I would say that that is a misconception because that's like, I feel like that doesn't equate to how much influence he has had on hip hop as a whole. I mean, you're, he's also been dubbed your favorite rapper's favorite rapper as well. So I think that that's easy. I mean, your, your Earl sweatshirts, your most deaths, your Talib qualities, you're not every single person I would say has been touched by the, the words of doom in some way or the approach of doom in some way. And I feel like it's genuinely just very accessible in a way like it's like it is sure it's weird and out there and if you don't like you know if you don't like hip-hop at all you may not like mf doom at all but i feel like he is a good bridge for people to thinking about music differently like just music in general and just again it's it comes down to being so conceptual you know i feel like there's something about the mask and the graphic design and like okay i'll i'll crack this open now when we talk about mm food. Mm food is an album that is based, I mean, of course, he's not talking about food on every track directly. The tracks are about other things and maybe the role that food plays in our lives in a lot of ways. And, you know, I guess in poor communities, black communities as well, how important, you know, the iconography of food is and like what it is. And I mean, one of my favorite tracks on that is One Beer. I think it's a very iconic thing about Doom. He was he was very much a living life in a very enjoyable way. You know, he didn't seem to take life for granted in any capacity. Like he did, he was a part of so many projects and collaborations. And again, he just, he always took that serious approach to having fun and to thinking outside the box and just how important it is, you know, there was a level of importance and assurance and confidence that he had that just was infectious. I think that that's what really sells people on Doom is there's like that idea of people love rappers because they're confident, you know, because they have an energy about them. And Doom really practiced what he preached, you know. I think that he just lived a very, there's one, his, his Red Bull Academy interview was like an hour and 40 minutes and they play some of his best songs in there as well. I recommend people who are interested in hearing from the man, the, about the man from himself. Uh, I recommend that quite a bit. And he, he talks about writer's block in it, that in a, such a beautiful verbose way. He talks about how 
you know, when he, he gets writer's block because it's part of the process, essentially. Like, that's just, you know, we have to accept that. And he says, what I do is I just leave it alone. I go back to doing what other people would consider normal life. You know, I'll read, watch a movie, play with my children. You know, I get inspiration from silence, from the littlest things are always going to, you know, inspire you in the smallest way. So you just got to let it come to you. And it's like, it's just such an, you know, it is kind of maybe an easy shamanic kind of, you know, approach to looking at life. But I think that there's a lot to be learned from that in a way. I think that there's just a lot of wisdom that he imparts on people from the kindness of his heart. You know, I think that he is genuinely about sharing and, you know, just, he wants, he wanted the world to be a better place than when he was found it. You know, he wanted to leave the world a better place. And it was interesting that he chose the villain as the way to do it. I think that that's very intentional. You know, it's like the idea that sometimes the bad guys are the good guys is very much a part of it. And that speaks to, you know, the treatment of black people in America and, you know, a lot of things. I think that he's just poor people of who, those who we may see painted as bad people, who they really are is what's important. Well, I'll let you take a sip of that beer as I introduce this album. It is the Mad Villain album, Mad Villainy. Mad Lib and MF Doom are the primary collaborators on this album that came out on March 23rd, 2004. It is 22 tracks in 46 minutes, which means uh, we're certainly not going to go track by track through this. I, I do think it is an album that is worth sitting down the first time you hear it, start with track one, and go through track 22. And then from there, I think you'll find, okay, maybe maybe this instrumental didn't totally click with me. Maybe uh, this song isn't doing much for me, but I, I would find it hard to believe that you can't find at least a song throughout these 22 that doesn't resonate with you uh, in some way. And then from there, you can, you can pick and choose however you'd like. So uh, Chandler, I, I don't feel like my picks for what I really liked on this album were all that shocking. I think the most popular tracks, at least according to the Spotify metrics, were the ones that I really enjoyed because a lot of them were of, say, a more traditional hip-hop structure with a song like All Caps or a song like Figaro. I thought Curls was really interesting, America's Most Blunted with Quasimodo. Oh which, uh, that, that, that song, 17 different samples used to make the instrumental in America's Most Blunted. So... I, those are the ones that really jumped out with me. I kind of want to hear from you, though, as to what do you really find to be the high point on Mad Villainy? I mean, I think that, you know, starting out the gate with accordion and meat grinder are all like, I, I see, that's the thing is I can go through how short these are pretty, pretty quick. You know, I think that the, like the thoughts just yeah, breathe please, by. Please I mean, go ahead. with that intro, you know, you've got accordion and meat grinder, and then you go right into bistro, which bistro is such an interesting, like, that's one of my favorites, just as like a mood setter. Like that makes me like, no matter where I am, if I close my eyes, like it does kind of have that evoked feeling of like, I'm in a restaurant, I'm dining in the coolest, the I'm whining and dining with the coolest people in the whole fucking world right now. But then I guess my favorite track, it, it, it's, you know, they're all my favorite track, but my favorite track, because it was the first one that I heard when Anthony Fantano uh, recommended it and I sought it out myself was Raid right after Bistro. Raid is spectacular in my mind. I think that that is just a, 
simple, you know, kind of just, it, it's a hip hop track. And that sample with the pianos is just so like sticky and it just gets you like, I don't know, it's a hook. Like that's one of the more hook based ones, I think, just based on the beat alone. Like it just gets you with the like, I don't know. And the feature on it's really good too. Just lots of memorable bars. He about starts speech. Come on, silence. On one scary night, I saw the light, heard a voice that sounded like Barry White said, sure, you're right. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. I, I, maybe you said this earlier on in the show. I don't remember exactly what you said, though. Around what age were you when you first heard this album? I guess this would have to be seventh, eighth grade. So. Yeah, that, that's what I thought you said. So I... Picturing myself in seventh and eighth grade, which at this point in my life, listening to not exclusively hip hop, but that is like my thing. I had a a three Christmas stretch where I, I received a different notorious B.I.G. T-shirt every Christmas. And I was 12, 13 and 14. I believe it was, you know, a conversation starter at the very least. I don't <laughs> think the subtleties in this album. I mean, I'm almost 22 and I am really having to sit and listen, I can't imagine most 7th and 8th graders being super into this, especially given, if you want to say in 2004 what the rap landscape was then, around what I'm assuming is 2010, 2011, that time period where you're getting into this, it's like the young money takeover is happening, and I think like kids are getting really into Drake at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I was into that stuff, too. I mean, I liked, I liked uh, you know, I was, I was just looking for more. I always, I'm in like, an, I think I might have OCD or like something deep about me that just like makes me like, just go like, it's like a high I chase almost of like, just like, oh, something to obsess about. Compulsive. Yeah, no, you've, you've got something. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's there. <laughs> I, but I, was this, like, did you have any friends that were also into this or were you off in your own universe here? I, I brought it to all my friends and it took them a while to catch on, but they all ended up like, look, one of my friends actually, uh, Charlie, he was a, he wanted to be a producer. He wanted to make beats and like, he was into modern nineties, everything. He loved it all. And so when I showed him Doom, Mad Villain, and, you know, he, he was more into Doom solo stuff because that was a more, uh, you know, like, j it, this is really jazzy too, but it was a more, it was less uh, experimental, I would say. It was still more of like a hip-hop sound, just like beats kind of going, still very experimental, but this is, I would say, pushing the experiment to, like, it, it is maybe the peak of both Mad Lib and, and Doom's, like, experimentation because it felt like they trusted each other to take the risks, you know, that they want, that they were going to make. And I don't think Mad Lib even like second guessed Doom at all. Like maybe Doom probably had a few moments of like, like Mad Lib, what are, what are these beats? But like, I can't see, I cannot see Mad Lib just being like, yeah, no, that was a trash bar that you just spit. <laughs> <laughs> That would be, I would love to know if that happened, because I can't, I, well, I just can't imagine questioning MF Doom on anything. His name is MF Doom. What am I going to tell him? No, I don't, I don't think that is possible. I, I, I will say, uh, there's a song that you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, Rainbows. Yeah, so Amer so the past raid, we go into America's Most Blonde, which we there mentioned. There you go, yes. Banger, uh, uh, tremendous, banger. Absolutely. Tremendous. Yeah, and like, 
it, it, the the little skit in the beginning. Also, the longest song, almost four minutes. Not quite there, but almost I think Rhinestone Cowboy hits four minutes, which is I, it's four minutes exactly, which is impressive to to. I mean, this is right up my ballpark. This is like a Joyce Manor album where everything just goes, 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 and I'm satisfied as a consumer. Yeah. Sick fit is maybe my favorite just solo instrumental on it. Like it just coming in right after America's Most Wanted is such a like it just that's a car song. It just makes me fucking bang. Like it's a I, I would lose it in a mosh pit if that came on, honestly. But rainbows So so rainbows I, I sorry to cut you off but I'm going to. Uh put oh, me in, put put me in the mindset that I need to be in to enjoy this song because rainbows is the one on this album where again like some of it's not totally my thing but i get it some of it i really like rainbows was the one where i was like this this is an idea i i i'm sure they're going for something i can't totally pinpoint what it is but it seems like you're a big fan of this yeah it's this was one that i i remember like hearing it and it just didn't click like, I just thought it was weird. Like, I was like, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I, I could sit there and listen to it, and it would, you know, it's one, it's kind of like Bistro in that atmosphere element, but it is kind of like a, like, that's a dangerous song to me almost. Like, it feels like walking in an alley, but like, also like, this, like, what I, th what people thought walking in an alley in the 70s meant as well, you know, like, it kind of feels like a cross between like the idea of danger and then real danger. You know, like, I feel like it's a lot of, I don't know, like, it, it, it's, it's an obtuse, strange song. Like, I keep using that word, but it just, it, I can't help but describe it in that way. It's also a single sample. There might be other, like, there might be other parts in it, but for the most part, I know it's just the song called, I think it's Rebecca or Michelle. It's, it's a female's name uh, from a Russ Meyer movie. And Russ Meyer is a trash cinema auteur extraordinaire i love russ meyer he made faster pussycat kill kill uh vixen beyond the valley of the dolls you know just all those kind of like trashy uh exploitation films and this is from this is a soundtrack from one of those and that's it's so weird like it's just weird it's a weird thing to pull from it's a weird sample to use but the jazz elements of it, and when those drum breaks hit, and just the hard sax and the blow, it just feels like massive. Like it's a hulking. It's almost like being dropped in in a little metropolitan city in like the wrong side of town, and then you realize that it's all the wrong side of town. Like there's nowhere you can go. Well, and it seems like, like the little... the middle of the album takes a bit of a darker turn because it's not like things get much better after after rainbows because a song like curls. I found to be kind of bleak in a way, which is not really the the overall tone that I took from this album, but the middle of the album certainly changes a little bit, which I, I think for a, a record that is repetitive, not to a fault, I think it's it's almost purposefully repetitive at times, the tone shift really took me aback of like, oh, okay, I, I see the difference of ideas here. I see the narrative they're trying to weave, and I, I enjoyed Curls quite a bit. I love Curls. I mean, there's just... That one, again, that one is, I can almost relate it more to, like, not great day-to-day, -day, but, like, it does almost have that kind of, like, da, 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 just doom kind of walking down the street kind of, kind of song. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how to, like, it just has, like, a, like, when he's talking about, he's describing, like, 
the community in a way, like a community that doesn't exist, the compliments of the town jeweler. Like he's just like setting up these shops and like things in it. I just think a lot of world building in this album, you know, I think that goes even into like, you know, I think we can skip Do Not Fire Money Folder. Money Folder's really good uh, as well, I think. The Money Folder I, sounds like a classic hip-hop song to me. Like, that was one on the first lesson. I was like, I know what this is. I like this sound. I'm on board. Yeah, Money Folder is, yeah, that's spectacular. But Shadows of Tomorrow, I, I'm guessing you didn't like that one as much. That does not seem like... No, it was... It was all right. It was certainly not one that stood out. Like I've kind of got three columns on this album of like stuff I really liked, stuff I didn't totally understand. And then kind of like this, it was, you know, an album track. And that's really more where I had Shades of Tomorrow. I didn't come away with any strong take from it. I mean, Shadows of Tomorrow is a Quasimodo song. Yeah. I would say that it, it is definitely, I feel like that's part of, part of the reason I like it. But again, it's the strange approach to, I like the wordplay on this one a lot and the themes and messages of it are like really, especially now that Doom's dead, this one feels like a, it feels almost like a Mad Lib tribute song that came out after Doom's death, like now listening to it. Like there's that, you know, today is the shadow of tomorrow. Tomorrow is the past, is the present future of yesterday. And then yesterday belongs to the dead. Like I just, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of heavy Yeah, that's elements. heavy. Yeah, a lot of heavy elements to it i mean and then operation lifesaver is strange as well i like that i like those two paired together though i think shadows of tomorrow and operation lifesaver have kind of that like it's just bright (laughs) flashy kind of bringing you back to like oh yeah this is a this is a trip (laughs) yeah because i i think with a song like uh like money folder Again, it was like comforting for me as a listener first time through. I was like, yeah, like, okay, I, I kind of get the sound. And then things change very quickly. And I'm back in just this world. It, it, again, it really took me a few listens to even just understand this album on a surface level. And I'm not even sure I still do. All I know is that listening to it this morning, I was like, okay, like, yeah, I really see some of this. If I listen to it another 25 times, may, maybe you don't really start to sink in. But I it swear. was, it, it's, I'm on the right path at least. I was going to say, I promise you, this is an album that you, it's easy to get addicted to. Like very easy to listen to over and over again because of its, you know, at 22 tracks, 46 minutes is not that big of like, like that's less no, than No, it's a, it's a fair commitment. It's, like it, it, it is an episode of The Sopranos. You are, that, is, that is a good way of thinking of album lights. No album <laughs> can be longer than an episode of The Sopranos. That is my new take. That is tremendous. Do it. Use it. I mean, I feel like I, I brought that out for you. I know that you will use that from now on. I mean, right after Operation Lifesaver, though, I mean, you said it earlier, Figaro might be like the crown like just general hip hop, like just all around. Yeah, that's like the the mo- maybe that's the most accessible on this, I would say. I feel like people, that's a good one to point people towards right away. Accordion is like a good, you'll get a better understanding of the album maybe from Accordion, but I feel like Figaro, if you just want like a perfect. I think that's a, that's a great take. That's exactly what it is. Cause Accordion's more, it fits the tone of the album a little bit and but it's not like listening to accordion it was like okay this is this is strange this is i mean it's, it's called accordion for a reason and yeah, uh it's, it's yeah. all i know and that oh man i i don't even think we touched on the perfection of accordion to me is like the fact that it's just the every using interesting percussive elements that are so small you know like it really i think that there's 
such a something to be said about Madlib's approach to taking like tiny little sounds and amplifying them to being like a huge like I, I, who would have thought like the clacks and clicks and blicks and blacks of a of an accordion would be a hip hop drum beat you know like only Madlib I guess I, I completely agree. It's a special song on the front half of the album as we round into the back half here. Chandler, uh, bring us home with your, your thoughts on the latter half of the album. All right. So, I mean, Hardcore Hustle is great as well. That's almost, that, that feels like, a, like, a, like a, the features on this album are really good to me, honestly, because they just provide like, a, like, a, like that communal element of it too. I don't know. It's like, jump on the track with a Hardcore Hustle. <laughs> like, it just feels like a side character in this crazy mad villain world that just, I don't know, it's... Again, I'm reminded of black exploitation a lot as well, and just exploitation cinema in general. Like it just feels like there's so many colorful characters thrown in there, including, I mean, Strange Ways is good. That might be my least favorite on the album, just because of its. I don't know. That one feels almost too polished, or like too much, like a Broadway sample or something. I don't know. Like it just there's just something about it that doesn't. I don't love it as much as every other one. But yeah, Fancy I think that's a fair clown, Fancy clown is. Like, that one tears my heart out to me because, I mean, it's a breakup song for one, a breakup hip-hop song that's just different, strange out there. But I also think that it's almost like a, it's a hidden self-loathing song because I don't know if you caught this because you're not as familiar with the MF Doom legacy, but with that song, it's actually wrapped from the perspective of another character. That's Victor Vaughn who is a younger, like, teenage-age Doom, essentially, that kind of looks up to Doom, but kind of resents him as well. And so he's, like, a more spry, kind of, you know, angry, uh, emotional character, I guess, than Doom. And so Fancy Clown is a diss track, I'm guessing, to Doom for stealing this girl. That's what I kind of see it as, because he keeps referencing Tin Face, uh, like that, you know, and then when he's saying fancy clown, I think it's like refer, it's like influxing on himself in a way, but that's one of my all time favorite songs it just has like such a deep melancholy in a way that I feel like no other hip hop song has just captured. And I following that up another fantastic instrumental, just beautiful, 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 love the way it you know feels in it and then you start to i will get say it. i was such a nice break and just everything it was just like a much needed minute long female vocals track which i guess doom was big on having some sort of featured female vocals on every album that was like the perfect reset of it was almost like if you're running that was me catching my second wind of like okay like let's finish this album now because that was such a palate cleanser it was really nice and it was just a very pretty one minute song and then, and then it's funny that you mentioned that because then we go into the final four tracks, which are kind of like, like, that's it. You could probably listen to just those four and like, listen, that's like kind of like listening to the entire album. You know, it's like, if you want the full experience, listen to it all. But it's like, if Mad Villainy, if, if you were to make a bad Mad Villain EP, that would be the four tracks. Yeah, it would be phenomenal. Use. It would be, I mean, that, like, this whole album is revered. If it was just the last quarter of this album, it would still be like, oh, no, this is one of the best things of all time. You just add another 16 songs onto it, and it somehow doesn't really dilute the quality at all. Yeah, no, I mean, super villain theme, of course, you know, that's just a nice instrumental. All, all caps. What needs to be said about all caps? That defines probably Doom's entire, you know, persona in a way. It's just like a 
and all it's like it's all caps it's big it's bold it's here it's there and you can read it like i feel like that's a big element of it you know is it's like it's meant to be read you know get your attention and then great day to day beautiful like another one of like those just kind of beautiful ethos that i think mf doom carries with him you know i think that there's just such a you know we talked about the dark turn that this album takes in the middle i think that he always makes a point to kind of end happy end on a good note or like you know kind of just go out and then i saved maybe the best for last with rhinestone cowboy i mean i think rhinestone cowboy just that is something else, you know, like I love with the whole, the, the, the crowd sounds and just the clapping and the woos. It really does feel like Doom is just coming out onto stage one last time, like to give everyone a finale, you know, like something that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And it, it's one that we can listen to over and over again. You know, it's like he, he understood the importance of of iconography, world building in a way that it would allow for these things to be timeless. Like think about it, Rhinestone Cowboy kind of acts as like a goodbye forever. Like he talks about like fading off into the known universe in that song. You know, it feels kind of like his final bow, like that can just be immortalized forever. We talked a few months ago on this podcast with Jake Klingensmith and Caleb Soul about oh, Kanye West. My boy my Jake. <laughs> yes. boy Jake. <laughs> we talked about Kanye West, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. And one of the things that Caleb said on that episode that I, it was funny. So I've been thinking about it a lot, but it was also like just a, a solid foundational point that he made was he was like, when I listen to rap music, I'm very simple. I like dudes rapping and just going for it. And I feel like the final few songs of this album, I was thinking of that of like, this is a dude rapping. Like he is going all out on these final few songs. And it's such a strong way to close the album. It's such a strong album. Not only do we agree, but I think the critics agree. It received a 9.4 out of 10 from Pitchfork and Best New Music upon release, a 3.5 out of 5 from Rolling Stone, a B from Entertainment Weekly. Imagine opening up your weekly tabloid and getting your <laughs> Mad Villainy album review in Entertainment Weekly. And it also finished uh, number 365 on Rolling Stone's Best 500 Albums of all time. A travesty. A travesty <laughs> to put it that low. Are you kidding me, Rolling Stone? Are you kidding me? So oh I, that that's the album. I feel like you did a, a very solid job of really summarizing the entire career of, of, of MF Doom. And typically I ask people who needs to hear this album and why, but I, I feel like uh, you did such a great job breaking down this album that I, I would rather shift my attention back to solely MF Doom for a second. And when the history books are written, when people that were, say, born in 2021 that didn't live on this planet at the same time as MF Doom, when they are writing the history books, when they are discovering his music, what do you think MF Doom's overall legacy is? What has he meant to you, and what has he meant to the scene in general? I really, I really appreciate this question more than anything. I think that that's a I think that there will be, he'll be in the history books, you know. I think more than anything else, he was, I brought up his, his, his desire to share, his desire to, you know, like innovate and just want people to do new things, different things, encourage creativity and just to think outside the box. He did all these things by doing it himself. 
I think that there's such a, it's like he's, he really did speak for himself. The music speaks for itself. The writing speaks for itself. You know, it's, it's there for you. You know, I think that there's something, it's very inviting as we've mentioned, you know, I think there's just something about it that is intrinsic, natural, you know, like it feels like something organic, something that's just meant to be listened to, read, studied, because it was created with that intent. You know, he created it out of, you know, researching, writing, putting a lot between the lines to reward the listeners that were really down with it to listen. And so I think that it, if anything, it's the importance of speaking for yourself, I, I guess. It's, it, it'll, it'll stand out about being yourself you know, because he was that through and through. I think that is a, a phenomenal way to put a bow on this episode. Is there anything you'd like to plug anywhere you would like the people to, to find you? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. I'm a brown baby rabbit on Instagram. Uh, uh, I'm also a part of the Iguana House here in Chicago, a DIY venue. Um, we do tons of stuff. I'm making merch. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Paul Stretch, local band, uh, but yeah, they're gonna. We have a video dropping for them soon, and merch for them as well. So keep an eye out. But I hate to piggyback off of the literal legend of MF Doom because I mean, I I do want people to know that this is like maybe the most important like musical figure besides Mad Lib, honestly, in my <laughs> life. Just as far as like influencing what I want to do with my art I genuinely think like it doesn't even have to be music you know it could be visual art it could be filmmaking it could be writing but the way that they approached it is going to influence the way that I do everything else and I'm eternally grateful for what they've given this world I mean we are so lucky to have Doom's music I think I think that that's what I'll leave it on just go listen to it because we're lucky to have it I'm grateful you came on the podcast. This was uh, this was tremendous. I learned so much. I, I want to listen to more MF Doom after listening uh, to you talk about him for an hour. Uh, Chandler, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. As always, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore CaseLow, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. And the podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Art School Albums. This has been the MF Doom Retrospective Podcast. This has been Art School Albums with Mad Villains, Mad Villainy.